does pertain to the message today, since we're talking about spiritual warfare in Ephesians, and we're talking about the reality of spiritual warfare, those images were taken from a Christian artist who does all of that on Photoshop. Those are the kinds of tutorials that he teaches, he puts out for people, and that people like me take and teach to students in the, in the middle school. So yes, some of those they will be doing or have already done. All right. Um, thought you might find that interesting. Well, Craig Brian Larson once said that National Geographic ran an article about the Alaskan bull moose. The males of the species battle for dominance during the fall breeding season, literally going head-to-head with antlers crunching together as they collide. And often the antlers are their only weapon, are broken. That ensures defeat. The heftiest moose with the largest and strongest antlers triumphs. Therefore, the battle fought in the fall is really won during the summer months when the moose is eating continually. The one that consumes the best diet for growing antlers and gaining weight will be the heavyweight in the fight. Those that eat inadequately, um, they're just weaker. They have less bulk. And there's a lesson here for us. Spiritual battles, while they do await us, Satan will choose a season to attack. And will we be victorious or will we fall? Much of that depends on what we do now before the wars begin. The bull moose principle is enduring faith, strength, and wisdom for trials are best developed before they're needed. Today we're in the book of Ephesians. This book was written in the late 50s or early 60s AD. It was a letter that was to be shared amongst the churches in that particular area, so it was called a circular letter. It was written by Paul the Apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 is where we're going to be. And some are asking, well, Pastor, why are we talking about spiritual warfare? Why are we taking a break from 1 Corinthians? Well, for the past few weeks, and, and especially this last week, as I talked to some of y'all and your struggles that you're going through, they just seem a lot more than usual. And the struggles that I'm going through seem a lot more than, you, than the usual spiritual battles that we normally go through as Christians. And it got me thinking. There is a war that goes on around us. And we don't always see it. We don't always know it. God is fighting on our behalf before anything ever happens. And so these are the times that we need to be reminded. And that we need to know how to weather the storms. And so today, we talk about spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, we're at the end of his letter. He says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against... Excuse me, 
against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of all of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you may also know my affairs and how I am doing. Tyke, I always mess that one up. Tychicus, or Tychicus, however you want to pronounce it. A beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And then he says, Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at even the storm that's coming, Lord, I didn't even know about the storm when you told me to preach on this text. And I thank you, Lord, that you've done that. But all these things that are coming up in our lives, Lord, God, we just surrender them to you. We ask that you help us as we prepare for the storm and prepare for spiritual storms. And as we're going through these storms, that you would, that you would encourage us that you would help build us, that we would find comfort in your word and in prayer. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you have said and done and all that you continue to do in our lives. You are not just something from the past, just something you used to do in the past, but you are the living God. And we thank you, Lord, that you are still almighty, that you are still all-powerful, that you are still all-knowing, that you are still the sovereign ruler of the universe. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I want to let you know something. And as soon as we grab a hold of it, as soon as you grab a hold of it, it'll change your life. The devil hates you. He does. The devil hates you. But God gave you the way to withstand him. Satan and demons are real, and they really hate the gospel. They really do. Let's look at the first three verses of our text today. Verse 10. He says, and I'm going to read this out of the New Living. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, 
but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. The reality of true spiritual warfare has been lost on most Christians in America, and indeed in most Christians around the world. Some take it to the extreme with a demon behind every rock or a demon behind every corner. However, the reality is that much, much of what we experience is actually influenced on a daily basis by things that are in the spiritual realm. Much of what we see is influenced by the spiritual realm. 2 Kings 6.12 says, 6.12-18, It's not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha the prophet in Israel tells the king of Israel, Even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now, the young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Now, picture this. You've got all these horses and chariots, let's put it in today's language, you got 150 cops surrounding you. And it's you and another dude. And he says, what are we going to do? And then you reply, hey, don't worry about it. There are more with us than there are with them. You're going to look at them like you're crazy. You're going to be thrown in the loony bin. But Elisha prayed, oh, Lord. Open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Even in today's language, I'll take the horses and chariots of fire that you can't see. Over 150 cops with guns. And as the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked, or Elisha had asked. Man, how great is that? How great is that? Often we forget how powerful our God really is. And in Daniel chapter 10, verse 10, it says, Just then, this is another story, a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling. To my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up still trembling. Yeah, I'd be trembling too if an angel came to me. And then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven, and I have come in answer to your prayer. Now imagine this. Daniel's going through something, and he prays, and he doesn't get an answer. And he humbles himself before God, and he fasts, 
And he prays fervently. And nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, an angel shows up. And he says, hey, I was dispatched the moment you prayed the first time. He's come and answer. But why did it take him so long? But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. And then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. This messenger of God was held up by a servant of Satan that was in charge of the kingdom of Persia. And he wasn't just held up for one hour. He wasn't just held up for one day. He was held up for 21 days. But did Daniel stop praying during that entire time? He prayed until he got an answer. This angel was not permitted to pass until Michael the archangel showed up and said, I got your light work. You go do what you're supposed to do. Satan's army's been around a long time, folks. A lot longer than you and I. Have you ever noticed over the time that you and I have been here that every time this church starts to make inroads and we're reaching people and God is blessing, we, we tend to get under attack, don't we? And this has gone on, or at least as long as I've been here, in like a cycle. In like a cycle. What's going on? There is a fight in the heavenlies. There is a fight in the spiritual realm. Well, how are we attacked? Well, our enemy, did you know, can make things happen. He can make people who were, who were solid and strong and through the manipulations of other people and, cause, and the causing of events and bad things to happen, he can cause us to have significant spiritual, emotional, and even physical problems in our lives. You know, oftentimes somebody in this congregation has come to me and they've said, Pastor, I don't know why. <clears throat> Excuse me, that went down the wrong pipe. And they said, Pastor, I don't know why. Every time something happens, starts to go good, it all breaks loose. I don't know why my, you put in your medical problem, has started. I've done nothing different. Hey, me too. My blood sugar's for no reason, other than the standard reasons, which come out of nowhere, just start to go high. For no reason. He can put things in our paths. He can do things in the physical. But you know what? I serve a bigger God. I serve a God who knows the beginning, the end before he started in the beginning. I serve a God who can take on anything and just smack it away. Whether he chooses for me to go through it or not, my God is with me through all of it. The enemy can also put people in our paths that mix correct doctrine with error. Did you know that? Little leaven spoils the whole bunch. And there are a lot of so-called psychics, spiritists, witches, and the like that can do rituals that summon demonic forces against us. There are even those in Christendom that will teach error that will get you all messed up. 
You know, I heard of one, one church where a couple of Wiccans came in the back, and they were starting to have revival. And uh, it was a small church at the time. And the Wiccans came in the back, and they were sitting there, and the whole time the ushers were back there watching them. They were sitting in the back, and they listened to them. They were saying curses under their breath toward the pastor, toward the people, toward the, what the people were doing there, toward the church, toward their outreaches. And this went on for a few weeks, and during that time... And I'm going to quote here, the pastor said, all hell broke loose. The pastor said that. So you know something was going on. And it broke loose on every person in the church. People started dropping like flies, as it were, getting sick, having problems, couldn't make it, tire blowout on the way to church, getting to a fight with their spouse on the way to church. Now, I know some of us, we get fight with spouse on the way to church all the time because they don't like how we drive. But just so you know, my wife isn't that person, you know. Um, but uh, anyway, so they're praying against, so they're, they're doing these things against the church. And so what does he do? He says, all right. He calls his leadership team. He calls some, some I'm going to say this nicely, um, some of the, the more prayerful elderly women in the church, and he gets them together, and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray against this, and we're going to pray. And from the moment they started praying, things began to turn around. And they didn't ask them Wiccans to stop coming. As a matter of fact, they started praying, Lord, let them feel your presence when they walk through that door. Let them know you before they hit the parking lot. Let them be saved. You know what happened? They stopped coming. Things quieted down. And now y'all, some of y'all looking at me like I lost my mind. No, no. I'm just telling you the reality of spiritual warfare. And it sounds ridiculous to our modern minds. But nevertheless, it is real and it really does happen. And the armor of God is not some mystical solution to our fight in the heavenlies. It's not something you're going to pray on every day. But it, it is, it's not just something that's intangible that we've got to say, Oh, Lord, give me my helmet of salvation. You should already have that helmet of salvation. You saved, ain't you? You know Jesus, don't you? The armor, folks, is a way of life in Christ. Paul doesn't simply... Talk about relationships in chapter 5, which he does if you go back and look. He talks about all kinds of familiar relationships and how we should be treating each other. And then suddenly change speed and go to some mystical battlefield. He admits there's a spiritual battle going on. And if we want to win this battle, then we need to live in a certain way. And we need to get down on our hands on knees and pray. He uses the armor as an illustration of how our lives and our relationships should look. Twice Paul says there to stand. Stand for what's right. Stand in the face of trouble. Stand in the face of temptation. Stand. He's showing emphasis. He says, don't give Satan an inch because he'll take 30 miles. You can stand against the enemy. That's a promise. You can do it, but not in your own strength. In the power of the Most High God. In the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot live the armored life without God, without the grace, without the mercy, and without submitting to God. You can't do it. 
You can't live the overcoming armored life without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the one who stands beside us. And the scripture says he has dynamos or dynamite power. That's a Greek word that we get the word dynamite from, by the way. When that stuff was invented, they went, whoo, that's powerful. That, that's the Holy Spirit. Dynamite. Dynamite. You know, I was working with a, a woman once at, at the school. She was our secretary for about a year. And she was unsaved. Well, she got saved, or, or we thought she got saved. We don't know. Don't know whatever happened to her. But then she joined the church, and she said, once I joined that church, everything broke loose. My cars break down. My daughter hates me all of a sudden. I can't handle it. And she quit her job and quit the church because she couldn't handle the spiritual warfare that she was being faced with. You see, she didn't understand it, and then the principal went, well, darling, that's called spiritual warfare. That's what happens. And she couldn't stay with it. So I don't know if she was really ever a part of being a Christian or if she was just trying to be a better person. I don't know. But I can tell you the spiritual battle is real. So then we need to do number two, walk in God's armor. So let's talk about God's armor a little bit here. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. These characteristics that we find of our lives and the power of the word of God and the Christian life, they're going to be attacked. You are going to be attacked whether you like it or not. Whether you believe it or not, you will be. The enemy will attack us about, first of all, the truth of God's word. He will. Just like in the Garden of Eden in the serpent, you'll find somebody out there in Christendom that will say, well, did God really say? Is God's word really true? The enemy will tell you the Bible isn't inerrant. He will tell you that it isn't God's word, only that it just contains God's Word. Not everything in it is for today. Those things, for example, the religious laws were fulfilled in Christ. That's true. But when we look at the New Testament and we look what God penned for us and you say, well, homosexuality, that's, that, that was for another time, not today. And you say, well, polyamory is okay too. Folks, the Word of God is the Word of God. It is inerrant. It is unalterable. It is truth. And we're to walk it out. If you, can, if you can get somebody to attack the truth in your mind and you say, well, that's not for today, then, folks, you've got a problem. The enemy's already won. 
He don't worry about you because you're already on his side. The enemy will tell you that the Bible isn't inerrant and that it's not God's word. I'm here to tell you it is inerrant and it is God's word. Let me tell you, the devil is a liar and he's the father of lies. John 8, 44 says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. Make sure you're not accepting what the devil has to say. The devil will attack you in standing up for righteousness in your life. Did you know that? Well, you could say, well, the Bible says, "Uh uh-uh. We don't believe the Bible, so you're of no use to us. And then you get, sometimes you go, well, Lord, is it really worth it to live the righteous life? Well, it is worth it. It is worth it. He'll say things like, well, one sip won't hurt you. One one snort won't hurt you. One look at that other man or woman won't hurt you. Let me tell you again, the devil is a liar. Don't do it. Run. That's what Joseph did. He ran from sin. The devil will attack your mind on the gospel. And he has several heresies going right now in churches in America that are becoming real popular with the populace. He'll say things like, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and living the good life. He doesn't want you poor. And he'll say things like, homosexuality isn't a sin. That was during the Bible times. It's okay now. And then how about, it's okay to cohabitate and not be married and have sex with whomever you like, whenever you like it, and whenever the fancy overtakes you. God wants you to enjoy your life and be happy. Not necessarily. God wants you to live the righteous life. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Matthew 24, 36 says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In every generation we have said, Oh Lord, it can't get any worse than it is now. When we look at the world, and every time we say, is worse. So as we come to that final age, can you imagine as we look around now, and I look around now, I'm going, Lord, what, what else could be wrong? Even Billy Graham said if that you don't, you know, if, if God doesn't judge America, that he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Lord, how much more can we take? Can you imagine how bad it was in the days of Noah when we look at how bad it is now? And it's so, it's going to get so much worse. He has so watered down our pastors and their presentation of the gospel that people don't even know what the gospel is anymore. Don't fall for it, folks. The changed individual will want to do the will of God, not just say some mystical prayer and think they're good and go on sinning like they were before. There's a change that happens when you get saved. There's a change that happens when you study the Word. Romans 6.15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. He says, certainly not. 
Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? The devil will attack you on those fronts, but he doesn't stop there. The devil will attack you on your readiness to share the gospel. You know the gospel if you're saved. You know how to share it. What did the gospel do for you? Share that. But he will attack you on your readiness to share it or your willingness to share it. He'll tell you, you better not share Jesus with that person. They might yell at you. You better not share Jesus with that. And I heard, used to hear this a lot in the early 2000s. You better not share Jesus with that tattooed up guy or girl because... You never know what they'll do. They may pull a knife. Well, go share it anyway. Just because you're afraid don't mean nothing. Ridiculous. But he'll attack you in your mind on that. You don't have time to talk to others about Jesus. You ever heard of that? I'm just too busy. And you don't want to get into a long, drawn-out conversation. Or how about you don't want to conflict with what others believe. It'll just cause a fight, and they can believe whatever they want. Really, you're okay with them going to hell because you don't feel like sharing. Didn't your mama tell you to share your toys as a child? How much more should you share Jesus? Here's the sad truth. If you aren't ready, then that person in front of you may just die and go to hell because you didn't share Jesus with them. Let that sink in a minute. The devil will also attack you on your faith. He will shoot those flaming arrows. And if you haven't been in prayer and you haven't been in the word of God as much as you can, then they will make it through. And they're going to hit you somewhere in your life where you will fall to his, his temptations or whether you commit sin or whether you just drop out of church or, or whatever. You know, when I was in, in undergrad and uh, somebody would call and they didn't go to church that day. You know, mama and daddy would call. What church you go to today? As a freshman. Somebody uh, wrote back, First Baptist Church of the Box Springs. That's not a Baptist church, just so you know. The devil will attack your faith. You got to be ready. If that dart makes it through, for example, he could hit your helmet of salvation. The assurance of your salvation in Christ. He'll attack your mind. He'll mess it up. He'll cause confusion in your life. And you'll find yourself in a place you never thought you'd be. I've seen many, many a Christian that never believed that they would be in the, in the place that they are in unrepentant sin. Where their marriages are torn apart and their kids hate them. But that fiery dart came right through and messed up their mind. Because they weren't in God's word. They didn't know what the word of God said. They didn't know how to apply it to that situation. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself. Approve to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. We always talk about rightly dividing the word of truth in that particular scripture. But that's not just what it's talking about. It says be diligent to present yourself approved. That means everything in the Christian life. A worker who does not need to be ashamed so that you don't need to be ashamed. You're walking in righteousness. You're walking with God. And you're rightly dividing the word of truth on top of it. How good is that? 
Proverbs 2, 6 through 8 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, of love, and of sound judgment. The devil will try to keep you from walking in faith by separating you from your sword, which is the word of God. Don't let him. He'll try to make you doubt it. He'll try to keep you so so busy you just don't pick it up. Oh, I forgot to read it today, Lord. Don't let it. And don't forget to study. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Praying in the Spirit is praying according to God's will, and His Word is your last part of the armor that's listed. It's not our only offensive weapon, though. There is another weapon, and it can go a pretty long distance. But what are you talking about, Pastor? There's a lot of Roman soldiers carried a lance. You know what a lance is? It's a spear. And now a lance can be used up close or be used to throw. And at the end of it, it had a really sharp tip. And and that could do some real damage. It really could. Now, I call that the lance of prayer. It's not explicitly mentioned, but look how much emphasis Paul puts on prayer. He puts a lot, doesn't he? Because prayer should be such an essential part of a Christian's life, he probably didn't even think he needed to mention specifically that you have an armor piece called prayer. I call it the lance of prayer. Always in prayer, with all fervency. You know, we used to call it grabbing a hold of the altar and not letting go until God answers. We've gotten away from that in modern churches. This church, this group of people, your leadership team... Folks, I'm telling you, we are under heavy spiritual attack lately. A lot of things have gone wrong, and it just seems like a struggle to get here some days, doesn't it? Much less reaching new converts, much less making disciples, much less coming to Bible study. We need people in the church to grab a hold of the altar in your personal prayer times and not let go until God does something. You know what I call it? It's called push. Pray until something happens. We're told to walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. Walk in the confidence of your salvation, knowing that you have the truth and that your righteousness is not your own but belongs to Christ. Choosing to do the right thing every moment of every day is hard. That's why we rely on Jesus. Be ready to share the gospel at any moment. Keep your faith strong by staying in the Word of God and keep the faith of God's goodness and His power at hand. We don't pray this armor on, we live this armor out. So let's grab a hold of the altar and not let go. Let us persevere in our prayer lives and not let the devil attack us in it. Let us live and share what we believe. And I'm going to give you one final warning. Are you human? Are you born in sin? The answer to that is yes on both of those. Do you still have a sin nature as a Christian? Yes, you do. 
because I know I do. But let me tell you something. We are a family. We are the family of God, the local body of believers here at First Baptist Church of Mineola. And you know what happens a lot of time with family? We get mad at one another. And when we're under heavy attack, we can get snippy too. So watch out for it and give grace. Give grace. Somebody upsets you, let them know. Do what the scripture says. Don't drop out of church. Don't go gossiping. Do what the scripture says. Let them know. Make it right. You know what you're going to hear nine times out of ten? I didn't even know I upset you. I apologize. That's not what I meant. You know what? I go through that a lot. Some people find me abrasive. Can you imagine that? Me abrasive? Never. Never. But remember this. The devil hates you. But God gave you the way to withstand him. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. To walk out your armor. The ladies come. I'd like to do something a little different before... We start our altar call. I'd like to take a moment and ask you to just make an altar where you're at. And don't just pray about your problems or people in your specific sphere of influence. Pray for everybody else in the congregation too. Pray for the people that God has that He wants here. That aren't here yet and those that are. And those that used to be here but no longer come because somebody got mad at them over something you know nothing about. And no, I don't know of anybody who's gotten mad at me lately, so let me know. But let's just take a moment to pray. Father, I thank you for each and every person in this church. Lord, I ask that you would touch each and every heart, that you would send in the workers, Lord, for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord, that you would send in the harvest, and Lord, that you would get the glory out of all of it, that you would fill us to overflowing, Lord, that you would fill our lives to overflowing with your power and your strength in times of of battle and in times of, of things quieting down, Lord. God, we give all of, all of ourselves, all of, all of the people in this church to you. And we say, God, you have your way in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our church. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God, and the people said, Amen. First of all, if you don't know Jesus, what we did mean nothing to you, so you better come to know him. Jesus is the only way to salvation. 
John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto me, comes unto the Father but by me. That's Jesus alone. That's not Buddha. That's not, I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe. No, you believe in Jesus or you're going to hell. I'm not usually that strong, but I am today. Those of you watching at home, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need Jesus. Well, why? Because we're all born in sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me, you, the Buddha, the Dalai Lama, everybody has sinned and fall short of God. But be of good cheer, for he's overcome the world. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. How do we, how do we secure that? Romans 10, 13 says, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not maybe, not should be, shall be. There's your salvation. You can be sure of your salvation right there. All you got to do is say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. It's not what you pray. It's, it's what's in the heart. If you are here in the room, you need Jesus. I'll be glad to introduce you to him, but I can't save you. He can. And secondly, if you're going through something, you see all these people around us? They're here to help you through it. Like that video in the beginning we played. As, one, as, man, as, as iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. We're here to uphold you. We're here to uplift you. We're here to help you. We're here to pray with you. If you need special prayer, I'm up here at the front. I'll pray with you. As we stand and sing the invitation hymn.